Hello, this is Professor Leslie Garfield-Tenser, and this is Law to Fact. Today we are talking property. In this episode, I speak with Dean Jason Zarneski, who's the Gilbert and Sarah Curlin Distinguished Professor of Environmental Law, Associate Dean, and Executive Director of the Environmental Law Program at the Elizabeth Halp School of Law at Pace University. Dean Sarneski explains all things future interests and the terminology that goes along with it. And at the end of the podcast, he gives great rules that will help students decipher exactly what types of interests are being conveyed and how to explain that on an exam. It's a really good, clear, articulate discussion, and I'm sure you'll love it. All right, I'm, I'm excited to talk about future interests. And You're the only one. <laughs> well, I'm the only one who is excited to talk about it, but other people have to talk about it, so let's talk about it for them. Sure. I'm happy to talk about future interests. Okay, great. So what are future interests? So anytime you have a conveyance of, of property and you're giving lesser than the entire quantum, you're going to be have a, have a future interest. And, of course, students need to know this because it's on the bar exam. Right. Um, they might get... You know, I guess it's possible you could get up to five questions that were future interest, but there's certainly one to three on, on the bar exam. And it's, I think it's important to, to talk about this because it's, it's one of these areas where you ask, you know, students ask what a future interest is. Once you start explaining it to them, they get, get very nervous and yeah. they get, you know, all these conveyances and exercises we do in class to get worked up about. So I'm happy to talk about it today. I'm thrilled. And it's going to be on the exam probably too. I mean, I won't commit you to this, but quite often it's I... Often, there's a often a this, future right? interest question <laughs> on the exam. And you know what's interesting, just as an aside, when you think, I, I don't teach property, I teach torts and contracts, and when you think about the things that you remember that were in areas that you're not dealing with on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Future interest is definitely one that sticks with you. Um, and so let's talk about it. So give me an example of the conveyance of land with a future interest. Yeah, so it's interesting because, of course, you can't have a future interest without a current possessory interest. Uh-huh. So any example that I'll give you has to start with some possessory interest. So let's start with the simplest example, which is that which we'll all say, we'll say, O conveys to A for life, then to B and B's heirs. So we have three people here, O, right. A, right. and B. Right. And so O conveys right. Blackacre. Right. It seems which that, is land. Which is land. It's always, Property. we're always, you know, conveying Blackacre, Whiteacre, Greenacre. For some of my students, it's Wiseacre. <laughs> Um, and so we always have to convey a, a piece of real property, which is land. Right. And so the, the common example that we often start with is O conveys to A for life, then to B and B's heirs. And Got of it. course, modernly, we don't need to even say B's heirs. We can say um, O to A for life, then to B, and we assume that that is divisible to all of a, B's heirs. So I'm, I'm stopping you because I'm just taking a step back as a non-property person. O is conveying property to A. For life. For life. And when A dies, A's heirs, who are B? No. Okay. So, O conveys to A for life. Right. So, A has a life estate. Right. So, A And a life estate is? A possessory interest in the real property for the duration of A's life. Got it. Then, upon the natural expiration of that period, which is A's life, then B gets the property. Got it. B could be anyone. 
Yes. And once B gets it, we know B has it in fee simple absolute. And it used to be that in order to ensure you were conveying somebody fee simple absolute, you had to use the magic words and B's heirs. Okay. So now A has a life estate. Right. We know. What do we know? We know A will die. Right. I'm going to die. You're going to die. It's one of the things that we're all going to do, Hopefully but none of, us it, are, right? none of us are comfortable with talking Correct. about Correct. But it's going to happen. Right. Which means that when we know that's going to happen, right. and we know B is a real person that exists, right. what we have is B has a vested remainder. Okay, I'm pivoting for just a second. Yes. Why would O convey to A for life... And then to B, why wouldn't O just stop with conveying to A? Like, who? why would O care who gets it after A? Sure. Let me give you an example. Imagine there are two elderly people. Okay. And they're best friends. Okay. They could be men. They could be women. It doesn't matter. Okay. And um, both of their spouses died. Okay. And so uh, they're best friends. And so one of them has more money and owns a home. All right. And... We'll call them Larry and David. Okay. And so Larry says to David, you know, David, both of our wives died. Why don't you move in with me? It'll be great. We're in our 80s. We'll live on the lake. We'll fish. We'll go golfing together. Um, why don't you live with me? And, and, and David says, Larry, that's great. Larry, I'll move into your house. And then Larry gets sick. And um, Larry then, in his will that he creates says, you know what, upon my death, right. I convey this house to my best friend David for his life. Because then David has a place to live in for his life. And then when David dies, right. it can go to my children. Or it can go to anybody okay. else. So Larry is O, David is A, and Larry's children are B. That could be one. That could be absolutely correct. Brilliant. And then, then his best friend can live there for life. Right. And then his children... Or his child, right? B could get it when yeah. when David dies, and then his child has a vested remainder. We know right. that possess that is an ascertained person mm-hmm. that his child exists, mm-hmm. and we know that a is going to die. We know that that previous estate is going to terminate. Got so it. that's an example of a possessory estate right. followed by the future interest. Got it. There are other types of possessory estates followed by future interest. Okay. And there are other types of future interest. And I'm happy to talk about those and explain sort of some tips I have for students to figure this out. Perfect. Okay. So where were we before I interrupted you? We were talking, you would ask me to give you an example about a possessory estate followed by a future interest. So let's talk about a couple other possessory estates. Okay, great. So we talked about a life estate. Right. There are two other types. Okay. Both are defeasible fees. Okay. So these... <laughs> the language and property is overwhelming. Yes. So this, a defeasible fee... Right. ...is a property interest that may last forever or it may come to an end if a specific event occurs. And we have two types of defeasible okay. fees. A fee simple determinable and a fee simple subject to a condition subsequent. So, of course, already the language. Like, this We're is laughing my, because my students freak out. Right. <laughs> it's a lot of so language. So, I, I, you know, obviously, you know, I say these words all the time. Right. I've been saying them for, I don't know, 15 years now. So, I'm used to them. But for students, the first time. So, a fee simple determinable right. is a type of defeasible fee. It's one of the two types of defeasible fee. And it will automatically end if a condition is met. Okay. Okay. So hypothetical. So hypothetical. Um, o conveys mm-hmm. 
2A as it's used for school purposes. Easy enough. So long as it stops being used for school purposes, then that interest ended. And then it has to be followed by a future interest. Every fee simple determinable is followed by a possibility of reverter in the transferor. Okay, so basically a future interest is just what will happen after the initial conveyance expires for whatever reason, either upon death or upon a a limitation on conveyance or something like that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it is an an interest. It's it's more than a mere expectancy. It's not a hope. Right. It is what... It conveys legal rights to the owner of that future interest if, in fact, the earlier interest Mm -hmm. expires. Because it is, by definition, an interest of lesser quantum because it has a condition attached to it because it might expire. And it's and if, if we want to put they don't in, have the whole bundle of sticks as we might say the the the, the receiver of the property doesn't have the whole bundle Correct. of sticks because once his rights or you know when it, once it expires for whatever reason he dies it isn't being used for school then it goes to something else that's correct so the owner who is conveying the property O right has two I don't want to use the word interest. That's not the right. Maybe I will. Two interests. One is to convey the land to A, and the other is to benefit from what happens when it goes beyond A to B. Yes, this uses the word reasons rather than interest. Yeah. Interest looks right. So the owner may have may have lots of reasons. Right. Right. One would be to uh, to to benefit that initial conveyance, but then also control what happens after that initial conveyance terminates. And so on, when you have a fee simple determinable, what that future interest is is a possibility of reverter. Because in the example I gave you, as soon as it stops being used for school purposes, right. it reverts back? back to the original owner. Now, you can also make it so it's not automatic. That's a fee simple subject to a condition subsequent. Mm -hmm. And there, the owner, Mm -hmm. what they hold on to is a right of reentry. So it may be cut short. At the transferor's election Mm -hmm. when the stated event occurs. So I convey to A, but if A stops using the land for school purposes, then I can re-enter the premises. Okay. That's at my election. Right. Now it's my choice. So it's not automatically. Okay. Divided. So the reason we do this is now we've taught, we know that a life estate is followed by a future. Other defeasible fees, the fee simple determinable and fee simple subject to a condition subsequent okay. are followed by a future interest. Right. So we immediately write now a student knows that they at least know two future interests retained by a transferor. Okay. The possibility of murder and the right of reentry. Got it. Now where students really get challenged is talking about future interest created in a transferee. All right. Someone before, else. Okay. So before we move forward sure. on that one, right, let's summarize this one. We've got four things we're talking about, right? Well, three and a half, I'm going to call Okay. It. All right? Okay. So... Fee simple absolute? Right. So fee simple absolute is the entire bundle of sticks. So if I own Blackacre and I sell you all of Blackacre, mm-hmm. you have the entire bundle of sticks. You have all the rights 
uh, that come with that property, and that's fee simple, absolutely. Perfect. Next. So the next thing you could do is is you could give uh, someone less than that entire bundle of sticks. Right. Because you could, in some way, limit their property rights. Okay. You could do that by giving it to them for a term of years or for their life. And that's called what? Uh, depends what. I, so a light. It could be if I give it to you to a for life. Right. That's a life estate. Okay. So the second is a life estate. Mm-hmm. Right. So and what that would could be create that? that could create that could just give you my land for your life, and then I would then me and my heirs would have a reversionary interest in that property because when your life ends, it would come back to my estate. Got it. So so the contract for sale in your first hypothetical, which is a fee simple absolute, is. I sell my house to be sure party over. If it's a life estate, I say I grant B the right to pay for my house for as long as he shall live, or I grant the right to use my house Correct. for as long as he shall live. Correct. But once he dies, it reverts back to me, and I get to have possession of the property and that's again. Called, and that's called and that's a life that's, estate. That's a life estate followed by a reversion. Followed by a reversion. Okay, then. Okay. We could also have uh, what are called defeasible fees. Right. Which are cre- also create future interest in the transferor, okay. which is me. Right. And those are future, in- those are, those defeasible fees are possessory interest, but they have a condition attached. Okay. To them, which says, you get this property mm-hmm. so long as. Um, you meet these conditions. Got it. And if the condition is no longer satisfied, I either automatically get it back or I can choose to get it back. So and if I automatically get it back, it's a fee simple determinable. If I choose to get it back, it's a fee simple subject to a con- to a condition subsequent. <laughs> so I say to you, you may use my land for a school. And if after such time as it ceases to be a school, I get it back? Yes. And depending on the language of the grant, right. it will determine which type of defeasible right. fee it so is. If it so if it says, I will get it back. If it says, so long as it's used for school purposes, right. then I automatically get it back. And that's called a fee simple. Determinable. And then if I say, you, may, you can use my land as a school, and if it ceases to be a school, I have the option of getting it back. That's a... Fee simple subject to a condition subsequent. Perfect. And then, so that is what we call the possessory interest... Right. ...of the person I conveyed the land to. Of, right, A. But I retain a future interest. Year O. And, and that is correct. And the future interest in a fee simple determinable... Right. ...is called the possibility of reverter. And the future interest in a fee simple subject to a condition subsequent is called a right of reentry. Got it. Then I, O, can retain those interests mm-hmm. if I convey a defeasible fee. Got it. Okay? Yep. So we already know then that, and we're talking about future interests, we already know two types now. Right. Two types of interests retra- that are in a transferor. Okay. But we can create a future interest in a transferee. Right. Which is to say, if those conditions aren't met, or if uh, the life estate expires, mm-hmm. that could go to somebody else. And that's what we started with. Okay. O conveys to A for life, right. then to B. Correct. Then what we have is we have three types of 
future interests that are created in a transferee. So three types of future interests that are created in B is what we're talking about now. Is that right. <laughs> okay? And so now I think is important where we we students are going to see these and they say, well, wait a minute, how do I figure this out? Okay. How do you figure out whether it's a vested remainder? How do you figure out any? How do you figure out the possessory interest? Okay. And so the first rule is you have to classify the interest from left to right in the order that they're written, paying attention to the punctuation. So let's just use the example I gave. Okay. O conveys to A for life, then to B's and B's heir. O conveys to A for life, comma. Okay. Stop. Right. Full stop. Got it. A has a life estate. Okay. Okay? Yes. We know that any life estate has to be followed by some future interest. So we can start again. So now we're looking for the future interest. Because it says for life and someone's going to die. So then there's got to be a future interest. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. So whenever it says for life, you know there's a future interest. Right. Okay. So now B... I mean, it's, you're going to have to know, does B exist? Okay. All right. I'm telling you right now that B is a real person. Okay. Okay. So it's a vested remainder because we know A is going to die. Right. And we know B is a real person. Got it. That already exists. Okay. Now, there's something called a, con- a contingent remainder. So we can create remainders that have conditions or it could be an unascertained person. So imagine O conveys to A for life then B's eldest son. But B doesn't have any kids yet. Okay. Right? Yes. So B's remainder, mm-hmm. or so it, that remainder, that interest, is contingent okay. upon there being an eldest son. Right. So there has to be a contingent remainder. And then finally, we have what's called an executory interest. Okay. Okay. And that is an interest a future interest in a transferee that can only become possessory if it cuts short another interest in another transferee or cuts off the interest of a transferor. So you can have a situation where there's an interest that goes back to a transferor and then some other condition happens where the transferee then takes that away from me. So we can create these however you want. And students get get confused about, well, which which is it and what serves it. And as you can imagine, there are an infinite number of hypotheticals that we could come up with. That's what I was going to say. Give me a hypothetical. Uh, well, let's start with the one I talked about. So O conveys to A for life, then to A's eldest son. Okay. All right. And A, and A doesn't have any children yet? Right. Okay. So that automatically is a contingent remainder because we know that A's eldest son hasn't been born yet. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So here's another example. All right. I'm having post-traumatic stress disorder from school. (laughs) We started with O conveys to A for life, then to B and his heirs. Okay. So we already said A has a life estate. Right. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we know B has a vested remainder. I said B exists and A is going to die. Correct. Okay. But now I said O conveys to A for life. Right. Then to B and B's heirs. Correct. But if B dies under the age of 21 to C and her heirs. Okay. So now 
A has a life estate. We read left to right. A has a life estate. B has a vested remainder. And C has an executory interest. Okay. So really what B has is a vested remainder subject to an executory interest or subject to an executory limitation. So if you get a hypothetical, what you have to do is read left to right. Left to right. Figure out what each person has. That's correct. And then go back and figure out if what that person has is contingent upon what the next person is getting. What the... What the person has before, um, right? Because of the executive state, or yeah, no, no, no. So you just want to see you want to see who has the condition attached to their property, and so that condition could change how we describe that interest, and you could still have a vested interest, like the example, subject to a condition. Right. So you want to pay attention to where all those conditions are throughout the grant. That's right. Right. So that's why. Yeah. That's why I was saying. So. So I mean. If you see on exam, A conveys to B a life estate um, with a remainder to C Mm -hmm. subject to a condition for D, Mm -hmm. right? Then what I would do, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, is I would say, okay, B got a life estate. In your example, A got a life estate. Oh, no, A can be, you're right. Absolutely, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. You, okay. Because you didn't a use, oh, to B. A can be to B. B okay. had the life estate. That's correct. Okay. So, my, so I would say, all right, let me see what B has first. B has the life estate. Mm-hmm. Then I'd say, what does C have, right? C has remainder. And so, then I'd say. So that's where you need to be. That's where you need to be very. I can create the same actual outcomes. Right. Using different languages, which might change how we characterize the grant. So, for example, you can create a vested remainder followed by an executory interest. That's the example I gave you. Right. But you could also rephrase it in a way and use your punctuation in a way where you could just create two contingent remainders. Okay. Where if, you know, one thing happens, one person gets it. Right. Another thing happens, another person gets it. So then how does a student decide on an exam... Or is it just, it's it's going to be clear? I mean, you have to read slowly. Right. Left to right. Correct. Paying attention to all the punctuation and characterize the interest that way. But I do, I've come up with sort of four simple rules that I'm happy to share with everybody. Okay, that's That'll idea. help answer okay. these questions. All right, so do you have some tips for students when they see this kind of thing on an exam? Sure, I have at least four simple rules uh, that can help students on an exam. Oh my gosh, they're going to love so the you. First okay. They love you already. Is but. <laughs> a possibility of reverter can only be created in a transferor. So students should just remember that. A possibility of reverter should only be created in a transferor. And they should know that because they should know about their defeasible fees. Similarly, an executory interest can only be created in a transferee. Okay. Okay. Thus... If a trans this is number three. Thus, if a transferor wants to create a future interest in a transferee after a defeasible fee, it will necessarily be an executory interest. Okay. Okay, I'll repeat that one because okay. it's important. Yeah. If a transferor wants to create a future interest in a transferee after a defeasible fee, it will necessarily be an executory interest. Got it. Finally, a remainder cannot follow a vested fee simple. Now, those are my four simple rules to help students with this. And then I have one final tip so can, students can relax. Okay. Students should be aware that these rules have been abolished 
in a handful of jurisdictions, and where abolished, there is no significant legal difference between an executory interest and a remainder. With the, the states that have abolished these names just call them all future interests. Okay. And oh, they don't get into the little specific. Right. Where's New York on that, too? Oh, uh, that's a great question. Okay. I knew in my home state of Wisconsin, yeah. <laughs> they abolished them. Okay. All right. Um, but it's still on the multi-state bar exam. So they need to know so it. So they need to know it. Bottom line. And it'll be on an exam. Yes. Right. Because And the reason it's on an exam it's is because it's, it's on the bar exam. exam. Right. That's Got correct. it. Okay. Um, all right. So this is amazingly helpful. I cannot believe how clear you are with this. This is like a treasure trove of information. We can go on and for some gift. more time. I'm certain we can. But we will not. But we will, we will summarize. All right. So the students on are going to see on an exam... A conveyance, right? Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? And when they see this conveyance on the exam, they have to figure out what is being conveyed. Correct. And in order to figure out what is being conveyed, the first thing they need to do is understand all the different types of conveyances that are possible. Right, which are which are in two broad categories, possessory interests and future interests. Great. And... Once they figure that out, and that's kind of terminology, right? Mm-hmm. Then they look at they they do that before they go into the exam, sure. obviously, or or before they take the bar, and then they look at that. And when you look at it, you read from left to right what the conveyance is, and you figure out what each person in and of that person's self, like just that person, is getting, kind of between the commas of each conveyance, sure. what that person's getting. Mm-hmm. And if you do it that way, and you keep in mind your four pearls of wisdom, yeah then the students should be able to... They should be, they should be in great shape. I mean, the, I would say if, the, you know, the one thing I would add is they should go back into their case books, mm-hmm. and in every section it defines what each of these things are. So you could literally go, oh, is this a fee simple determinable? Right. Oh, here's the definition. Does it meet that definition? No, it doesn't. So you can really go, you know, definition by definition right. to see if it meets uh, what, in fact, the definition of that possessory or future interest is. And you know something interesting you say go back into the case books. I my students say to me all the time, what's the best commercial It's the you case know, book. It's the case book. It's I, the cases, I, right? I agree a thousand every, percent. I would say ninety percent of the questions I got this year that students emailed me, I answered and then say See page, you know, three fifty seven right, of right. the casebook because it's all in there. I mean, your, our casebooks are extremely dense, right? And so, but everything they're looking for is is there. But also, the fact patterns of the cases are perfect hypotheticals. Well, then they also so if ask, you can if you can read the fact pattern and answer that. And by the way, probably for my class, I get all my exam questions from the casebook anyway, but. That's where they are. They're the fact pattern. If you can work through these fact patterns, you can do great on an exam. I mean, students always ask, "Do you have any? Do you have any hypotheticals?" And I say, "Well, the cases are all hypotheticals." And they say, "Can you have any examples?" So, like, did you do all the the examples that are in the yeah, notes? Yeah, the notes, right? Right. No, I haven't. You right. know, all those are examples that right. you can use. And, and just so happens in the new property case books, a lot of the answers are actually in the back of the book, which is a, it's, which is new for some of the new versions. Wow. Why do you think they do that? Just user friendly. Uh, my my honest answer is yeah. because faculty were getting tired of explaining all these future <laughs> interest answers to the students. Okay, that convey. So, that's funny. All right. So, any parting words to students on future interest? No, I would say on future interest, um, and they should think about this one: outlining both on paper and in their mind. You know, this is no different than your science class, like kingdom, phylum, order. Trying to, and so we can. 
break them down into categories. You have possessory interests. Now you have interests in land. Now we know we have possessory interests and future interests. Those mm-hmm. are two groups. You can then break up the future interests into future interests in transferors and future interests into transferees. Then you can take that future interest in transferors and break it up into reversion possible uh, reversion into feasible fees. And then you can break up the feasible fees into into uh, into what has a possibly reverter and a, and a reversionary interest, right? Because I want to be clear, defeasible fees are not a future interest, they're a possessory interest. So there's ways to really order this on your paper and your mind in a way that makes a lot of sense. That's great. I mean, I can see it. I can kind of see the chart exactly. right now. Wonderful. This is great. I totally understand what you had to say. I know the students are going to understand what you want to say. I really appreciate you giving us the time. Happy to do it. And thank you. You're welcome. So that's my discussion on with Dean Jason Zarneski. Thanks to www.bensound.com for the music. If you're enjoying these podcasts, do us a favor and like them on iTunes. If you have a particular topic you'd like covered or a professor you'd like us to speak with, tweet us at at and we'll see if we can get that done for you too. Have a great day.